We won't admit it. We, we won't admit that sometimes we've been frustrated with God. Sometimes we question his judgment. We've questioned his action or his inaction. And we've even questioned whether he loved us. Anybody been there? Because I've been in positions where I said, God, if you love me, this would not happen to me. If you loved me, I wouldn't have to walk through the valley of the shadows of death. But he never said that it would be easy. It's almost as though after you give your life to Christ, things become a little bit more difficult. Pastor Martin continues his sermon series as in the days of Noah. And today's sermon title is The Perils of the Times. We start in Matthew 24, verses 36 through 39, as Pastor Martin explains. One of the things that we're going to do today is, is lay the foundation for our sermon series, but we also want to draw you into this sense, the essence of the nature of the song we were just singing. It speaks of this great expectation. We ended our sermon series last month by pointing to the fact that the great king that we had built the case for, that Jesus was the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and unlike any other king, that that king had gone away and made a promise that he would come again. And it's, and it's in that expectation and in that anticipation that we are looking unto him to come one day. Because the word says that we should look unto Jesus who is the author and then also the finisher. So the, he's authored our faith by creating for us this expectation and this confidence that we can believe in who he was, the message that he shared, and the promises that he gave. He will finish that faith when he returns because there will be no more need to believe in his coming because we will be with him. So Jesus promises, his promise to every born again believer is I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself. Now, every generation of believers has, since he made this promise, has lived with this, since he made this promise and ascended back to heaven, has lived with this expectation that as he ascended, he will once again descend. Now, he lived, if, as we understand our context today, we, have, we are just as that first generation of believers. We're living in light of this fact, in light of this reality. And that this expectation, this all-inspiring expectation through the promise that he gave should cause us to walk with a sense of purpose each and every day. Now, the reality that we face is that the first generation of believers believed that his return was imminent. They believed that he would come in their lifetime. However, as time progressed and some got older and passed on, they realized that the return was, was, would come, but not yet. Jesus said previously 
in response to their inquiry, earlier in this, 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 this sermon, because chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew are one sermon. It's called the Olivet Discourse. It's called that because he's sitting on the side of Mount Olives and he begins to preach. Now, he had responded to their request earlier in chapter, chapter 24, verse 3, where he says, what will, they asked the question, what will be the sign of your coming? He had given them several indicators that they could look to that would precede his coming. And among those was, he says, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be before I return. So now as we consider that, in this series, we're going to explore how the time before the great flood of Noah is a foretelling of the times that we live in today. And we're going to look at how we should be invoked or inspired to be more watchful, watch and pray, take heed and be, be mindful of this return, but we should also be inspired to our faithfulness to him, Christ Jesus, and his mission in the earth. So there are three things that this sermon series is intended to hope, that my hope would be that we would accomplish over the course of the next five weeks. One, as I said, would be to invoke watchfulness and preparation for Jesus' return. Two would be our faithfulness to our witness for him. Our faithfulness to our witness for him because he said to us, you will be my witnesses. And then thirdly, we would hope to inspire and encourage your commitment in striving to help do your part to fulfill the great mission and purpose that Christ has, has set forth. Today, our sermon title is The Perils of the Times. Jesus' declaration that as in the days of Noah, so will it also be in the coming of the Son of Man right before he comes, while he was speaking of his second return, and he's speaking of this in context to help bring a sense of expectation, but that there would be a purposeful living in light of the fact that it's coming. As I shared before, uh, my story, the story of my father, that, that because he knew that my sister was coming, he began to do certain things to prepare himself that he might be ready. Now, even though he knew that she was coming at a certain time, he did not wait until she drove down the street and he saw her coming to run and try to get ready. He then recognized that there had been some indication of when she might arrive and that he needs to be prepared. So we want to establish how explicit it is when we look at the times of Noah. And then we compare that to the times that we live in. We'll begin to see some parallels. Because prior to the great flood, there's something that's astonishing that we must understand. Because when we get, begin to look at today what was taking place, 
and how things were, the conditions of mankind, the lens would become more clear that as in the days of Noah, so shall it be, and that we are living in those days. If you would, consider this. And considering the fact that we are positioning Noah's time and Jesus is referencing back to that time as a foretelling, my hope would be that it would help to bring a greater context to what was taking place even through the grace of God and his mercy that was exhibited then that we can also grab hold to today. Because no matter how you look at what took place, one of the things that's very evident and very clear and very clearly stated is that, that Noah found grace. That Noah found grace. And we understand grace to be sufficient. Because the Apostle Paul says God responded to his plea for him to take away the infirmity in his flesh. He says, my grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. Now, we see here, we're, we're working from Matthew's account, but Luke also has a record of this in his gospel. It's in Luke chapter 17. And so in verse 20, he says, now when he was asked by the Pharaoh, so, so this time he makes the same declaration as in the days of Noah, but in Matthew 24, he's responding to the disciples' question. In Luke 17, it's recorded that he responds to the Pharaohs, the Pharaohs, I'm sorry, the Pharisees, the Pharaohs, the medication. <laughs> I'm not going to blame it on that. The Pharisees, forgive me. The Pharisees is asking him a question. And he asks, he said, when, the, when will the kingdom of God come? And he answers them, he says, the kingdom of God is, does not come with observation. Verse 22, verse, and the A portion of that, he says, then he said to the disciples, so he responds to the inquiry by the Pharisees as to whether or not, when is the kingdom of God going to come? And he says, it's not just going to be what you observe and what you're thinking, it's something far greater than that. And then he turns to the disciples and he says to them, in verse 26, we see him says, and as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be also when the Son of Man returns. Now think about this. Twice he's responding and he's telling the disciples, as in the days of Noah, so shall it also be before I return. So if we have understood history, we understand that Jesus was a literal man who lived, who died, who suffered, and the, the scriptures record him ascending to heaven and the angels testifying that just as you saw him leave, he will come again. Jesus himself had promised that I'm going to prepare a place in John chapter 14. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare that place, I will come again to receive you. So the reality that we must all wrestle with is how watchful are we? 
How watchful are we? Because if we have this promise and the promise keeper has, has made himself trustworthy in our minds, in our hearts, because he has fulfilled everything he promised before he left, then we live with this promise until he returns. And it should inspire and compel us to, one, have this watchful preparedness for that return. Because after Jesus says this, I want you to slide down to verse 42. Look what he says. He, he's made the declaration in, in verse, verses 36 through 39, and then, which we've already looked at. And then in verse 42, he says this. He says, watch, therefore, because I'm telling you, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be. He says, therefore, watch. For you do not know the hour that your Lord is coming. Slide down two more verses to 44. He says, therefore, you also be ready. And here's why he says be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at a time that you don't expect him. So this preparedness, he says, watch and be ready. That is a preparedness that we are watchful and we're preparing. As the songwriter said, he's coming as a thief in the night. Children, get your hearts right. Because we can go through many transitions in life. And sometimes those things begin to affect our heart scarring and things that have gone on and disappointments we've had, moments of faith crisis that have caused us to, to walk with this sense of almost a tension between God and us. We wouldn't admit it. We won't admit it. We, we won't admit that sometimes we've been frustrated with God. Sometimes we question his judgment. We've questioned his action or his in action, and we've even questioned whether he loved us. Anybody been there? Anybody transparent enough to say, listen, I've been there. Let me, let me raise my hand. Because I've been in positions where I said, God, if you love me, this would not happen to me. If you loved me, I wouldn't have to walk through the valley of the shadows of death. So as we wrestle through that, oftentimes it begins to affect our heart and our ability to say, God, I absolutely, positively, wholeheartedly believe you. And I trust what you said you would do. And that is to come back for me. So the other thing is, is that we, we, as we talked about earlier, the three purposes or, or the intent for the sermon series is we also want to encourage or inspire this sense of faithfulness to our witness for him. Because here's, we, ha we have to settle this matter in our hearts that, that after Jesus declares that we would receive the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit would bring power, he says, you're going to be one thing. Witnesses. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, But you shall receive power 
empowered to actually live the life that Christ has set before us. Empowered to actually be children of God. Empowered to actually say no to sin. Because he said, he that is a sinner is a slave to sin. But having been empowered to be freed, we, the son sets free, is free indeed. We're able to say no when we had to, before had to say yes. You know how that is. Any, any reformed, any freed, any delivered playboys in here? <laughs> Couldn't help yourself. You walk in a room and there's, there's, a, there's at least two ladies in there? Something happens. <sighs> Your look changed, you walk. <laughs> How you ladies doing? Any ladies that, that, that just couldn't help themselves, compulsive? You was that one that anytime somebody crossed you, Girl, hold my stuff. <laughs> but now you're able to pray for the same people that you would have whipped? He says, you will have the power to do this when the Holy Ghost comes. After he says, you will be empowered to represent me, then he says, now go represent me. You should receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Here's the question we have to ask ourselves. As Christians today, how concerned are we with our witness? We make our declaration. We make sure everybody knows we got crosses on the car and we got, got fish on the back, got a big cross flag waving out up front. We, when somebody says, how you doing? They just want to know how your morning is. Blessed. And highly favored. We make these declarations, but how are we concerned about what people see of us? Because here's what I've come to understand people want to see what you say. If you say I've been changed, they want to see it. And if you now recognize that you are God's representative in the earth, you should walk that way. At some point in my professional career, I was the Decatur Township Administrator of Indianapolis for Mayor Bart Peterson. And one of the things that, that, that Mayor Peterson would oftentimes say is, listen, you guys, so Indianapolis is set up in, in nine townships. And there were nine township administrators. My township was Decatur Township, the southwest corner. Now, what he would say is that when you are out there in those community meetings, meeting with constituents, and responding to phone calls of someone calling with a concern, you are representing me and the entire city of Indianapolis. Now, at one point, I wondered how well I was doing because I was out meeting with a constituent about a flood issue that they had. 
The problem is the neighborhood they were in, unfortunately, had been surrounded by uh, a very large development. And because of all of that development, their area had began to flood. And so when they were requesting to have something done, the problem was what would need to take place would cost at least $1 million to address it. But it would only be a temporary fix for them as long as they're there because ultimately all the drainage issue had come because of the development. I was out there on a Friday afternoon. It was about 85 degrees. And so the, 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 the constituent wanted to stand near where the problem was, meaning that there was no shade. So we're standing out there, and she's continuing, and, I, and I'm trying to tell her no, and it's a diplomatic, and a, a, as many ways as I can say no without telling her, listen, this will never happen. And she says, you are a liar. And I'm going to call Channel 13 and Channel 6. And before I thought about it, I said, you can call Channel 6, you can call Channel 13, you can call the mayor. <laughs> and then something down inside of me said, don't go ahead <laughs> with the rest of what you're getting ready to say. Because I was just telling her, listen, I was trying to help her understand that no matter where she called, it had already been determined and, and, and it had already been assessed that that would be too much to spend. So as I walked away, I thought, boy, it was Friday, it's 5.30, I'm riding home in traffic. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if, if Monday morning when I walk in, they'll be, hey, can you step into my office, please? <laughs> because what I, what I realized is in that moment that even though the pressure was up, the heat's beaming down, the sun's beaming down, I'm sweaty, I've taken my jacket off, I'm unraveling my tie. like, lady, please, just give me a moment to go home. It's after five. But even though the pressure was up, I had to be very much aware I was still representing someone greater than myself. See, when we understand our witness, we recognize that we are representing someone far greater than ourselves and that I'm on the front line to stand and say, yes, I am one of them. So we have to be faithful to our witness. We're not talking about perfection here. But we're talking about representing God well. Because there are times you have to, have to apologize. So I told her, I said, ma'am, listen, I'm sorry. I, I know you got, I, I do want you to understand, I sympathize with you. I recognize coming out here and having your street flooded, having to wade through water, I get it, I do understand, but I'm, I must apologize to you for getting upset. But I do want you to understand that everything that we could do has been done, and there may not be any more that's going to take place here. She said, well, that's fine. You're here for me. I said, okay. Well, I'm going to get going now. And she says, well, you go ahead. <laughs> and as I walked away, Brother Freeman, I thought about saying one last word. She's going to get the last word. Let me get one if I get in my car. And you just go, Martin. Because there are moments where 
in our representation of God, that the Holy Spirit is there. And he's saying, that is enough. You've said all that needs to be said. There's nothing else you can say at this point. So one last thing that we hope to accomplish this, 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 during this series is that we have a, a renewed sense of commitment to the mission that Christ has going on in the earth. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20 says, go therefore, make disciples. I want to stop there because oftentimes when we read this text, we think he's calling us and compelling us to go and tell somebody about Jesus. And yes, the goal in this text is telling us to go, go therefore. But the key is, he says, make disciples. See, oftentimes we get busy just doing us that we forget that God has called us to make somebody a disciple. And discipling takes time. It takes energy. It takes effort. First and foremost, one of the things that has, have we've lost uh, in many ways is parents in general has lost the sense of responsibility to disciple our children. We bring them and turn them over to youth and children's ministry. But we do know discipling at home. Then we get frustrated because we say, well, that church. Here's the thing. The church is a partner in your assignment to disciple. Jesus says, go make disciples. He had already, the word had already declared that we are supposed to train our children, train up a child in the way they should go. So that discipling starts at home. And then you got someone that comes in and says, hey, we support that effort of discipling that backs it up. Youth ministry, children's ministry. So making disciples first starts with you got to show them what one looks like. I can't have my church face and my house face. I can't have my church attitude and my home attitude. I just have to have the attitude of Christ no matter what. Because here's what we'll admit at some point is that we have, there are certain people that when we get around, we let the hair down. And some of us don't care who it is. They just, they just, it's just out here. God's still working. Oh, me, ain't nobody perfect. You know, if you never declared that, everybody already knew that. <laughs> just call you Captain Obvious. You seen that commercial, Captain Obvious? He just says what's already evident. These waters are on the table. Thank you, Captain Obvious. But the reality is, God says, I want you to let your light shine before men. Here's, the, here's how it works. Let your light shine before them that they see you and glorify me. Wait a minute. Let your light shine. The light of Christ is shining inside. Let it out. And that others will see that light and know who's the source. And glorify me. Because they'll know that you can't be like that without him helping. 
So this mission is for us to first be witnesses. And here's how Peter says it. He says, go ahead and live your life. Let your light shine. And then be prepared to have an answer when someone asks you about the hope you have. See, if you understand, if you would allow your light to shine, God would set up the opportunity to tell somebody. That neighbor who sees you. The co-worker who watches you. The friend who knew you when back then. And knows something has changed about you. And he says, hey, man, something about you is different. We ain't seen each other in a while, but you ain't the same old little Ray Ray. That old street name. I just had a name to call me G Mo. What's up, G Mo? What's up, man? I ran into a brother. He said, G Mo, what's going on, man? I said, hey, man, I knew he was from high school. I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember, but I knew he had to be from high school. He said, man, something's, something's different about you. I always knew something was different, but what, what is that? I said, you know, one of the things that, I, that, that that's changed about me is everything that I am. Everything that I am and everything I desire to be is aligned with what Christ wants me to be. Man, I can see something like that in you. Because then he started watching. He wanted to see how I moved around the room to see if what I said and what he thought he saw could be confirmed. So being intentional about our witness and and no longer walking around because sometimes our witness is affected by the number of chips we carry. I want you to hear this. It used to be that people would walk around with a chip on their shoulder you know that statement, that phrase? Someone says they got a chip on their shoulder, like they're waiting to be offended. Just say, just say something, right? Today, people have bags of chips. They, they've got them laid around. You might, st- you might stumble on a chip. You don't even know. You don't have to get close to the shoulder. You're not even near enough to get to the shoulder, and you just stepped on a chip. Like, oh, what's wrong with you? But as believers, we have, to pa- we have to package up the chips and put them out. Put them out with the trash, let it be taken away. Because here's what John chapter 4, John chapter 9 verse 4 says. Jesus says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Because Night is coming and no man can work. See, at some point, Christ comes back and our responsibility to be his witnesses will be over. So we have to do the work of a witness while it's still day. And men, women, boys, and girls, that also includes witnessing in your home. Witnessing in your home. Something that I can say, and I'm not saying this in a bragging, bragging way, but I can tell you this. 
You can always know when somebody pro professes to be something, especially a spiritual leader, yeah. just watch the spouse. Yes. Yes. Just watch the spouse. If she barely able to do it, like, He up there preaching and pointing, she like. She don't care about how she looks, she just come in, lips dry, don't try to lick them. At least I came. Wig sideways, just, I'm just here. You'll know then that he's got a public and a private. And the private don't align with the public. Because we have to be witnesses. If, if I am a witness, I'm a witness at all times. Amen? Okay, let's get into this. So we need to start by examining the days of Noah. I need you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, there's about four verses that help to paint the picture of the days of Noah, and then we're going to then juxtapose that to the days that we're living in now, and then we'll close out today, and we'll pick up again next week, okay? Genesis chapter 6. The first verse we need to look at, because here's we, we hear the description of what's going on in Noah's day, is verse number 5. Genesis chapter 6, verse number 5. Here's what it says. Then the Lord saw that, first thing, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. First thing we see, the first descriptor is, the wickedness of man is great in the earth. And the next one, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. So we see two, two descriptors there. The wickedness of man is great in the earth, and even the intent of man. When we set out to do things, we create evil, conjure up bad stuff to do. The intent of the heart is evil. Slide down to verse 11. Verse 11 says, the earth was corrupt before God. There's another descriptor that the earth is, was corrupt before God. And understand, this term earth here is not necessarily talking about the land itself. It's talking about man, mankind in the earth. But it's also speaking of a, a, a global sense, not just in one place or the other, that it's a global problem when it says the earth. And the earth was, here it is, filled with violence. The earth was filled with violence. Two more verses to get more descriptors here. Verse 12, the very next verse says, So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. All flesh corrupted its way. So we're talking about there's a widespread sense of corruption. Systems that you can't trust. Leaders that you can't trust. From top to bottom, you find this sense of corruption. And then verse number 13. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. 
and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So now we've just looked at the primary verses that help us to understand or describe the time of Noah. And here's some observations. There's seven of them. The first one we saw in verse number five, and it was this, that man's wickedness was great. That's the first observation, verse number five. And also in verse number five, we see that humanity's thoughts and intents of the heart grew evil continually. The next observation is, verse, observation number three, the earth was filled with violence. We see that in verse 11 and also restated again in verse 13. Observation number four is widespread corruption before God. Corruption before God. We see that in verse 11. And then the fifth observation is corrupt usage of the body. Corrupt usage of the body. We see that in verse 12. Now, the last two observations is God's response. Observation six is that the end of life on earth has come before God. We see that in verse 13. And that God will destroy the earth. That's verse 13. Now, I want to then now turn our attention to present day. In light of what we just saw and the observations we've made, now let's turn our attention to our present day. In order to do this, I need you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. While you're turning there, I want to introduce something that Paul says in the very first verse of that chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. He says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. In the last days, perilous times will come. Now, the word perilous, we have to break it down because the Greek word here, said, it, 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 it defines what we would call a reduction of strength or difficult times or dangerous times. Furious times and also fierce times. So Paul says, in the last days, perilous times will come. If we just stop there for a moment and look back, just consider what we've just read about Noah's day, we begin to see the picture that there's a reduction of strength. There's a, 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 these are difficult times. There are dangerous times. There are furious times. There are fierce times. Paul says that that would be what he calls last days. So here's how we can understand this. We are in the last of the last days. Understand this. So the last days, the, all of the disciples have lived with this sense of last days. And I say to you that we are in the last of the last days because of what Jesus said. Now, there's, there's a greater study that we'd have to do on the Olivet Discord. Because you have to understand, as I said before, chapter 24 and chapter 25 of Matthew is one sermon responding to three questions. And I'm not going to get into it because it would, we would have to really teach it, and I don't want to spend time there. I don't have enough time to do it. But we will look at that at some point, the Olivet Discourse. But here, 
right in the midst of that, because in that, Jesus gives other things that will be taking place, but right at the heart of it, he says, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be. Almost like he pauses to raise it up, give the warning, verse 42 and 44, be ready, be watchful, and he goes in to continue on and give other examples. So, but here's what we see in first, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. The first three observations that we made, we can answer those in verses 2 through 4. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 through 4, we can answer the first three. Let's look at that. Here's what it says. Verse 2, for men will be lovers of themselves. All about me. Notice our assignment is to be careful and caring about others. But many people are more concerned about me and mine. He goes on to say, lovers of money, boasters, trying to be humble but just can't. Can't help but talk about you. Somebody telling you about how they, yeah, but you know I had one too. God's giving you a setting you up for a prayer moment and you can't get off you. Proud. Pride goes before fall that we are so proud that oftentimes pride gets in the way of repentance. Because in order for me to repent, I got to acknowledge I was wrong. But I'm not willing to acknowledge I was wrong because they were wrong. Apologies that include why I did it. Anybody seen a tweet lately? Mass tweet, apologizing, but then also not owning. I, I wouldn't have done it because, but if they, they did this and I did that, so I do apologize. But I apologize no, more so because I got caught. Because the tweet didn't come until somebody reported Blasphemers don't mind talking about God, don't mind talking about the things of God, don't mind just going on and on in a derogatory way about the things of God. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. I ain't going to touch that one. You, understand, you got it because somebody said, mm. Unthankful, unholy. The things that used to be sacred and set apart are just now diminished to the point of just, hey, just whatever. Verse 3, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, get mad when somebody's trying to live right. Upset, post all about it. They think they're better than everybody else. Holier than thou. They can't come out no more. They don't hang no more. Despisers of good. Traitors. We talked about the lack of, 
of, of trustworthiness that we, we talked about that last week that 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 that, that the polls show that that we don't trust we don't because we've been betrayed headstrong can't tell me nothing haughty chest poked out I got what I got because I worked hard for it lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Notice he says, loving, having a good time more than loving God. That if I am going to love God, I'm going to have to reevaluate how I pleasure myself. Because some things, here's what the word says about the born-again believer. It says, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now we move on to observation number four. Observation four says, widespread corruption before God. Verse 11 of Genesis 5, I mean 6 rather. In this same third chapter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, let's look at verse number 5. Here's what it says. And we're going to take a look at um, chapter 4 and verse 3 and 4. But while we're here, look at verse 5. Look what it says. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Denied his power. I'm watching a, a YouTube video, and the caption said, Pastor Ed, cursing pastor. The gentleman came on. He was prophet somebody, and he, I bet a, a sailor couldn't, couldn't win a contest with him. He's sitting at a desk with a Bible in front of him. Going on about how, you know, uh, words don't condemn and just all kind of old stuff. We all know that, ain't you, right? You can't just say anything. You can't say anything to your children. You can't say anything to your wife. So you certainly can't say anything before a holy God as his representative. Having a form of godliness, but, but here's, here's the key. Denying its power. The power of God working in any person will change them. Because God said, if any man be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. If I was a cussing sailor before I came to Jesus, I can't be a cussing sailor Christian. Because he says, lay aside the weights that easily beset. It's easy for me to cuss somebody out, then I got to lay that aside, right? It's easy for me to slap somebody because they said the wrong thing. I got to lay that aside. It's easy for me to get the number. You know what I'm talking about, brothers. You know what, anymore, it ain't just the brothers. The sisters, they, they get them up. Sisters get a number, too. It's kind of old school you talk about get the number. You know, now it's like text me. Look me, on, uh, look me up on, on, uh, on uh, Facebook. I saw it happen just yesterday. They said, hey, uh, just go, go to Facebook. You on Facebook? Look on there. And they found three names with their name. They said, that's me, that's me right there. 
It's easy for you to do that. But I got to lay that aside because I got a wife. I, I, I got, I, I, or if, I'm not, if I don't have a spouse, I'm trying to live the single life the way God would intend it. Having a form, but not denying the power. He says, from those people, don't, 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 don't turn away from me. He's not saying turn your back on me. He says turn away from me because what he's saying is that he'd already address, he's addressed the fact that we should be unequally yoked. Doesn't mean that we don't associate, we don't know, but, but yoking ourselves. Look at verse, turn over to chapter 4. I'm almost done. Verse 4, 3 and 4, 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 and 4. It says, for the times will come, here we go, when they will not endure sound doctrine, teaching from the word of God. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. It says because they don't want to hear the truth, they will build up those who don't speak the truth. Or who only speak the things that allow them to stay in their place of the things they desire. That never challenges them to say, I strive for a holy standard day after day. Verse 4, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to just fables. Just tell me a good story. Tell me something that sounds good. Number five, our observation. I need to move on. Let me hurry on. Verse number five was corrupt usage of the body. For this one, I need you to turn to Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one. I won't, I won't stop and, 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 and investigate each one of these. I'm just going to run through it. You have it in your, in your personal time. Go back and look at these because I believe the Lord will speak to you even more so in your personal time. Corrupt usage of the body. Romans chapter one, verse 25 through 27. Here's what it says. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. That we're more concerned about humanity than what God says about how humanity is functioning. Who is blessed forevermore. Amen. Verse 26. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even the women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Corrupt usage of the body. Likewise, verse 27, men also leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing that which is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error. That, that, that the sense of I do what I want with my body and I make sure that, that, that those who teach me teach me that that's okay. God's response. Here's what Peter says. Turn to Peter. I know I've got you turned a lot today, but I want you to make sure you see these because I want you to know that I'm not fabricating this. I'm not bringing this up. Just trying to force something into the text. I want you to see that God spoke about as in the days of Noah. So shall it be. And we're going to pick this up. There's other things that we have to observe. Each week we'll look at something new. The sixth observation. God will destroy the earth. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Here's what it says. 
But of that day, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So when God comes in with the flood of Noah, he's, 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 it's a washing away. But after he did that, he declared, I will never destroy the earth. He didn't say I would never destroy the earth. He said I won't do it with water. Then he established the rainbow as a continual covenant that every time you see the rainbow, know that I will not do this like this again. But then Peter says, this time it won't be water. It's going to use fire. Our final observation for the day, Hebrews chapter 9. The seventh observation was the end of life on earth. Hebrews chapter 9, let's look at verse 26, 27, and 28. I'm going to go ahead for the sake of time and begin reading that, but you can certainly write that in your notes and then join us there. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation, talking about Jesus, suffering for the sins of the world. But now once at the end of the ages, I said that we're in the last days, the last of the last days. Here the writer of Hebrews says that when Jesus did what he did in sacrificing himself, that that began the end of the ages, that, this, that period of the end of ages. He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 27, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Verse 28, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin, this time for salvation. He came the first time that he may create an opportunity for us to be forgiven of our sins. But this next time he comes is to complete the salvation that he initiated through his suffering on the cross. But here's the thing you need to understand, people of God. Everything we've just shared with you, bear in mind that God's grace is still present. So I want to show you this real quick. Because when we go back to Genesis, you don't have to turn there, just write it down. Back in Genesis, we see this statement made. God looked and he saw all that was going on, and he says, but Noah found grace. In verse 6 through, uh, chapter 6, verse 8 and 9, it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9 says, and Noah was a just man, and he walked with God. See, we have the privilege through the grace of God to walk with him even though we see that the times have begun, begun to indicate Christ's return. We have this grace that was present even in Noah's day. The grace of the gospel is still present today. Thus, we are charged with carrying the gospel and sharing the good news to them who need it the most. Because here's what we understand. We too have found grace in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, it says it this way. 
chapter 2, I'm sorry, verse 4, verse 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he has for us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you've been saved. Verse 8 says, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us or receive these and other sermon notes, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.